morning. Tom Aran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Well, it's morning time here, a nice rainy Saturday morning in Connecticut. And I'm reading through an article that my buddy Eddie Marquis sent me. Um, Eddie's been I'm corresponding with Eddie, oh, God, for years, I think almost since I started the Tom's Big Spiders website. Great guy. Love talking to him. And he passed off an article that just so happened I hadn't had a chance to read it, and then it popped up on my Google feed because now my Google feed tends to have a lot of spider articles in it. And it was by National, it was, I guess, published in National Geographic or on their website. And the title is The Illegal Market for Tarantulas is Hairy Business, which is a bit ominous considering how much talk we've done lately about brown boxing, uh, the issue with the T. Celadonias, and things of that nature. And to have it make a well-respected magazine like this is a little bit scary. But I went into it with some, you know, at least people are talking about tarantulas. I, I do a lot of talking about tarantulas. And anybody that's in the hobby that keeps these animals, you inevitably end up talking to people you know about them and, and trying to paint the hobby in a positive light. And sometimes some of the articles that are passed around social media, like on Facebook and such, they they serve as good springboards to talk about them. I mean, sometimes they're ridiculous, but I think sometimes you can latch on to even the most ridiculous ones and use them as kind of a springboard to an educational experience. And I know a lot of us end up doing that. No, they're not that bad. No, that picture of the camel spider, they're really not that big. No, they don't black widows don't all eat their mates, things of that nature. And so I think even sometimes bad publicity can be good for us. However, it depends on the type of bad publicity. If it's something that's easily dispelled and we can walk away from and, and basically myth bust for people, then that's great. But something like this, a little uh, a little unsettling. So this was published in October 31st, Halloween, of course, because that's when you're going to publish something about spiders because they're creepy and that's what they're known for. But the article kind of has an inauspicious beginning where it says, Mesmerized, fixated with horror, I'm watching a Mexican fire-leg tarantula on the move. Huge, hairy, with legs the color of carrots. Well, that's, that's some wonderful description there. This one isn't crawling around my house, few, but across my computer screen in video form. It amazes me that anyone would want to keep a fire-legged tarantula for fun, but people do. So right there, this is, unless this is going to be one of these pieces, and I, and I read a lot of fluff pieces and things where people talk about, you know, even when they interview like movie stars and they walk in thinking the movie star is going to be a jerk and they walk away going, oh, actually it was a really good experience, they're a really nice guy, they're misunderstood. I was hoping this was going to be one of these pieces where at the end of it, the guy got it and was able to turn around and go, oh, I, I totally understand why people would want to keep these now, but I, it's, it's really not. It's a guy who isn't particularly fond of spiders writing a fluff piece for Halloween. I shouldn't say fluff piece. There's a lot of good information in it. It's just putting a picture of a spider up and releasing this on Halloween. Obviously, you're trying to grab that crowd that's afraid of them. I don't know you're necessarily grabbing the intellectual crowd, but obviously National Geographic, a lot of people are going to read it. It's a respected magazine. They usually take an impro uh, impartial approach to things. So my fingers are crossed that it's going to be a you know a good article. And, and I will tell you, some of the stuff in this was a, it was a wake-up call to me, if it's true. So basically, it goes on to say that about $40,000 worth of a creepy crawlies, to quote them, were stolen from a Philadelphia insectarium and butterfly pavilion in late august in a suspected attempt to sell them into the pet trade uh, that kind of blows my mind a bit only because these guys are so readily available now I, but i guess people will steal anything I, i'm i don't know i'm torn because i think it's so easy to get a hold of some of these species in the united states right now that this is just a thief this is somebody that's just going to steal 
whether it be animals, whether it be, you know, I guess nobody buys CDs anymore, but video games, whatever, to make some quick cash. I don't, I wouldn't quite consider this somebody that is like a poacher or something of that nature. It just doesn't seem like that's the type of stuff we need to worry about in the hobby right now. Yes, it's unfortunate, but there's people stealing animals all the time. However, you know, obviously there's situations, it was that situation not that long ago where somebody broke into a zoo to kill a rhino to take its horn, which was absolutely disgusting. So who knows? Maybe it was somebody that really thought, you know, they were going to enter the tarantula trade by stealing a bunch of tarantulas from a local bugarium. I don't know. But doesn't look good for the hobby because this is portraying us as people that are going to go out there and jack these animals and take them to put them in our collections. And I think the majority of us are not like that. And then later on, it goes on to talk about a Singapore man being fined $12,800 for illegally keeping 92 tarantulas in his home and trying to smuggle six more stuffed in plastic containers in the back of his car into Singapore from Malaysia, according to local media. And this is something I, I am in contact because of the Tom's Big Spider stuff with a lot of hobbyists from all over the world. Um, I think Singapore is one of, those, one of the places where it can be difficult to keep them illegally. I know, or legally, I believe Philippines, the bunch of them are illegal. There's a huge trade over there. And unfortunately, the people that want to keep them have to do so illegally. I'm part of uh, a group, and I tried to invite some people to the group that were uh, in the Philippines. It's a Filipino um, collectors, tea collectors group. And they're like, oh, no, we don't want to make this one public. Uh, there's some laws against this. So I'm, I'm not going to get into the aspect of it. But it is true that, unfortunately, in some countries, people that want to keep the species they see. And obviously, anybody that's in the hobby, we know you see so many beautiful, cool species out there. You want to keep them all. But unfortunately, even in the States, we have some uh, townships and some cities where it is illegal to keep them. And that can be very frustrating. So I think some people do resort to illegal means to get them in the country. And, you know, obviously that's an issue unto itself. I've been contacted several times, lots of times, from people from the Philippines that want me to send them tarantulas there because they can't get them there. And I have to explain I can't legally do that. That's illegal, and that's not something I'm going to put myself in jeopardy for. Sorry. Um, I also just recently spoke to somebody. We are comparing notes on some species we kept, and then uh, he dropped that he was in Australia. Now, last I had heard, in Australia, you're only able to keep species that are from Australia. You're not, they have to be originated from Australia. So, you know, Selena Cosme, I believe, um, what is the other one there? Uh, Phlogius, which I, I guess they're not, Phlogius crassipes or Selena Cosme or crassipes, things of that nature. You're not allowed to keep anything that originates from somewhere outside of the country. And this guy had quite an impressive collection. When I asked him about it, he kind of he got worried. I'm like, I'm not here reporting anybody. I was just curious and trying to find out if there are different parts of Australia that can keep, you know, tarantulas that aren't from the endemic from that area. So unfortunately, I do think it's true that in a lot of these countries, especially the ones where they're not allowed to legally keep them, there is quite a bit of smuggling. And that's unfortunate because this means you're going to be sneaking them in. This means they're not going to be, you know, you're breaking laws, bottom line, and they're not going to be getting the proper care they would if it was a legal shipment where you can pack them correctly and not worry about hiding them in things. Now, I'm not going to go on and read or go through the entire article, but I will post a link to the article in the description of this podcast because I do think it's worth reading, especially for people in the trade. But it goes on to say that scientists report a significant amount of illegal activity involving tarantulas believed to be fueled by largely by hobbyists willing to pay hundreds of dollars apiece for pet spiders. Well, guys, there's our T. Celadonia. Bad coverage. I mean, that that was something that popped up recently. There was one seized. It was a species that had been recently, you know, 
just made it out into the mainstream as far as look at this beautiful spider that was just discovered in Brazil. And next thing you know, it, we had it turning up in our collections. And I think that set up a lot of red flags and made us look not particularly great to the world at large. And so here we go. Here's an article that is talking about the fact that and it, and it does reference later on other species that are barely discovered, barely make it into the media as being, you know, this new species that they've just studied. And next thing you know, they're showing up in hobbyist collections for hundreds of dollars. This is not a good look for the hobby. It's it's all there is to it. There's been a lot made about this lately. I think people are getting nervous. There are some things brought in recently that people were complaining about the prices for. I mean, if done legally, fine. But I think what a lot of people, and I covered this in another thing about smuggling, what a lot of people don't realize is that although we may have species that are raised in captivity, that they come from two you know, a male and a female pair that were bought legally, that a lot of times these guys are smuggled out of the countries and into, like, Europe illegally. So it's kind of like laundering spiders. You get them from, you know, somebody comes down from Germany, grabs them from Brazil, say, brings them back, and breeds them a bunch of times, gets the slings out there. People get those slings, they raise them up, they breed them. They're still originally illegally obtained. So I think that's what this article is kind of, you know, starts to talk about is the fact that, a lot of these animals are pulled right out of the wild at first. When they're discovered, somebody gets right in there, takes these things out, smuggles them out, and then starts breeding them to get them into the pet trade. And that's not necessarily a good thing. So moving on, smuggling is rampant. It's widespread globally. Not Again, not a good look for us. And it says the illegal tarantula trade is a little-known corner of the black market in wildlife, a multi-billion dollar industry that's harming animal populations around the globe. Elephants and rhinos have been among the hardest hit, but the smaller, more obscure animals are sought as pets for use in traditional medicine and as novelty items, among other things. That includes tarantulas. So this is a good point. Because we're kind of a little niche or niche, however way you want to pronounce it, hobby, I don't think people we get caught as often because they've got bigger things to worry about with the, you know the smuggling of ivory with the tigers with the rhinoceros and the people killing them for their horns those are the ones that tend to get the most spotlight in the news and I think they bring up a very good point is we enjoy a kind of a luxury and it's and it's not a good thing per se that nobody really pays attention to spiders. Nobody really likes them. They're not a popular pet. They're not, you know, when you hear about them getting caught, somebody get caught smuggling spiders in, and if you read comments, somebody inevitably goes on, well, I hope they just burn the whole box of them. They're, it's not a creature that people are really worried about, so I don't think they care about the smuggling as much, and I think that's why a lot of people are able to get away with it as often as they do, but there are people out there watching, and it is becoming a bigger issue, and I think as the hobby continues to grow and time moves on we will see them paying much more attention to the smuggling and what's coming in and what's going out and what should you know are people doing things legally are they doing it illegally is there a spider currently in the trade that the country of origin has no record of it being illegally exported out of the country those are all things that are going to become much more prominent so the problem i did have with this article is this guy does talk to some you know really you know people that i recognize names that i recognize um Jorge Mendoza, who's very prolific in the Mexican tarantula trade. He talks to a couple of people from, or one person from Fish and Wildlife that is well known. If you're in the hobby, you've probably heard of him. And he does, it seems like he was doing his homework, but there are some statements out here that just aren't really supported with anything. And if taken the wrong way, could be incredibly damning. So one of them, to keep up with demand, some traders hire local people to hunt tarantulas in the wild. The species are smuggled out and sold to breeders or collectors looking for the newest, most colorful 
or otherwise most distinctive creature. Some tarantulas are snatched and killed, mounted in display boxes, or encased in resin, a clear substance used to make keychains, paperweights, and other decorative items. Now, that's a, that's a big comment there, the fact that they're going out and basically it sounds like they're going out into the wild and then directly selling them to people as part of the trade. And yes, that obviously happens. I am not, you know, blind to that. I just, and I'm not discounting that this isn't a big issue. I just really wanted to hear more about this. Honestly, who did you talk to? What what countries is this happening in? Where are these coming? Is this tarantulas um, taken out and sold in Europe, where a lot of our tarantulas in the hobby come from or originate from? Is that what he's talking about? Are they being sold overseas? Did they find a particular dealer that is doing this? This is information I'd really like to hear because I think this is important and to everybody in the hobby to know what exactly is going on. So again, I'm not I'm not discounting. I don't want it to come across like I'm saying this is bull. It's it's not. I'm sure you got information somewhere, but that's the part that's always brought up when we try to defend ourselves in the hobby. That all right, most of the things that are in the hobby now are captive bred. It's not even when I got in the hobby several years ago, but back in the uh, 90s. A lot of the stuff that was being sold was plucked right out of the wild. This was a huge issue. And you'd go in, there would be wild-caught specimens. This is why you had issues with the nematodes a lot more often because they would come in with parasites from the wild. Um, Nowadays, the hobby, a lot of the breeding is done in Europe and the species are basically shipped over to the U.S. We obviously do breeding in the U.S. Canada, they do breeding. We we have an active trade of captive bred animals. However, they obviously come from somewhere. We've alluded to the fact that somebody at some point goes down there, steals a bunch of adults out of the wild and breeds them. So is that what they're talking about here? I don't know, but I would have liked to hear more on that. And I would like to hear more sources on that. Where are they coming from? What's some of the data? Because I don't think it's as rampant personally. I don't think it's as rampant as the people against the hobby would like to make it. And I have a funny feeling it's more rampant than the people in the hobby would like to admit. That's my thought on this. But again, uh, making them into paperweights, that has nothing to do with the hobbyists. The ones that, those of us who take them out of the wild for the hobby are obviously doing it for money. They're not going to put themselves in that type of situ- precarious situation to possibly be arrested or deported, you know, whatever, in, a, in another country if there's not money involved. So let's not pretend like it's altruistic. But... They're brought in, they're bred, they're produced, and it keeps a sustainable population for the pet trade. So there's some good to come out of it. And then it goes on to mention, tarantulas are especially vulnerable to poaching because of their long-lived. Some reach 30 years old. I got a female that's even older than that, probably. And females reproduce late and infrequently. According to Jorge Mendoza and Rodrigo Orozco, Mexican breeders and researchers, poaching has taken a toll on Brachypelma, a genus found in Mexico that includes the fire-leg tarantula and the popular red-knee tarantula, known for the flame-colored spots on its legs. Now, uh, Mexico, I believe, and I'm not 100% familiar how the whole system works, but they basically have a system now where they breed their own and sell them out, and I kind of like this idea. They realize that people were pulling these species out. This was a huge issue with the Brachypelma, and they were basically decimating populations of Brachypelma species by going in, pulling out a bunch of adults, and selling them into the hobby. Huge issue right there. There's no arguing it. There's no defending it. And what happened is Mexico kind of took charge of this. We got sites. They're protected. And the basically there's Mexican breeders that take these species. They breed them. They reproduce them. I believe they put like half back in the wild, half are sold into the pet trade. So they are basically 
creating a sustainable population in the wild while also benefiting from the pet trade. I, this is something I would absolutely love to see Brazil do. If I could do anything for the hobby right now, it would be to get people in Brazil to meet up with people in Mexico and figure out how to make this work. I don't even care if I'd have to spend more for the tarantulas. I, there's something I don't have to have, so I'd be okay with it. But to have Brazil start going, you know what? We're going to start watching the places where these guys live. We're going to start strategically breeding species. We're going to put half of them back in the wild so that they can continue to grow. And then we're going to sell some of them in the pet trade to make sure people aren't poaching. That would be absolutely lovely. And hopefully someday we see that happen. That would be something I would absolutely love to write, make a video about, talk about. But unfortunately, so far, that's not what's happening. So... I love the way that Mexico is doing it. I love that they actually interviewed these guys because I think that's a model for how it could work. Um, it's unclear how poaching affects most other tarantulas, but scientists fear that overcollection compounded by threats such as climate change and habitat destruction could wipe out species before there's time to study them in the wild. And this is the big deal in this article. It's mentioned, and I'll get to that in a moment, that only a small fraction of the tarantulas that we know that exist have been properly studied. And there's a very good chance that some of these things are going to go extinct before we ever get the opportunity to study them the way we should. And the other thing that comes out of this that I have to comment on, because again, this is one of those ones where both sides of the argument can really get into it. The fact that habitat loss is a huge issue for these guys. And I think this is, again, one of these ones that could be used on both sides of the argument. People talk about the fact that habitat loss is decimating the wild-caught populations, and then basically tarantula breeders or the people, the smugglers, come in and take more of those adults out of the wild, which further hurts the population. And, and that's true. That's an issue. However, on the flip side, a lot of these species, at some point, they may be more prolific. There may be more of them in basically collectors collections than there are in the wild that we are breeding a lot of these species very readily and what immediately comes to mind is the sri lankan uh species that obviously they had that ruling that it's now you're not supposed to sell them across state borders and whatever well that's great as long as somebody's guaranteeing that they're taking care of their natural habitat and making sure breeding populations in the wild are sustained and they're not and that's where i think a lot of us get a little upset because we do see that in some you, you can't deny it in some ways we're going to keep these species alive if they end up going extinct in their natural habitats however are we contributing to that at the same time it's it's a slippery slope and one that i feel like you could really argue it both ways personally i feel like if we're going to have these species be around and they are not taking care of things in the countries where they originate if sri lanka isn't putting basically putting them on their own list saying we need to protect these spiders we need to protect their habitat we need to keep track of the populations in the wild make sure they're reproducing make sure the numbers are up then basically what happens is they say, all right, you guys can't have them anymore. You can't sell them. We're going we're gonna to make it more difficult for you to buy, sell, trade, create sustainable populations in the hobby, while at the same time we allow the wild populations to be decimated by habitat loss. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So again, I know it can go both ways. People can turn around and go, well, it wouldn't be such an issue if people weren't jacking them all out of the wild. All the adults that could actually be making babies and, you know, creating a sustainable population. But the problem is they don't have a habitat it doesn't make any difference. They're not going to live. So again, it's, it's a tough area and I can see both sides of the argument. Now the author goes on to say, there's no good reason to fear tarantulas. Most would rather hide or even play dead than attack by biting or spraying prickly hairs from their abdomen. And if they do feel threatened enough to sink their fangs into a perceived aggressor, their venom is mostly less potent than a bee's. 
Okay, well, it's at least he's doing something to dispel the myth that there are these nasty, bloodthirsty monsters, and that's what most people see them as. So that's actually good. Not, you know, spraying the hairs from their abdomen. That's the kicking the hairs, the urticating hairs. That's great. The bee sting one, I still hate that that one makes its way around because that's very misleading with the amount of old world species that are in the hobby now. I, I just answered an email today with somebody who got a piece of Letheria species and had plans to handle it, you know, and a friend of theirs said, oh, I think those really have a bad bite, and they were asking me, do these guys have a bad bite, or is it, isn't it just like a bee sting? And I had to go, oh, no, no, much worse than a bee sting, had to go into the whole spiel about, you know, old world species versus new world species and all that, so I really wish that myth would go away, but at least he's dispelling that they're creepy, nasty creatures to be feared. Then the article goes on to say, take members of arachnoboards.com. Yay, arachnoboards got national notice, and that's pretty cool. I think a lot of us have spent time on arachnoboards when we got into the hobby, and a lot of us have gone there seeking information. I still, if I'm looking for information on a new species, I'm not so much going to go on there and post because it's just not my thing, but I do a lot of searching of the archives for people that have kept them. I love looking, like if a species came into the hobby at 2000, I like to see how they kept them at 2000. I like to go up all the way to current times to see if anything's changed. Have we learned anything about them? Love doing that. So a board's awesome place. And this one said, people refuse to name their favorite species. I love all of my babies and can't choose. One tarantula file wrote on a discussion board. You cannot make me choose one, wrote another. So there they make us almost sound like bronies or something. I, I, this one kind of made me giggle because it makes us sound like weirdos. I guess we probably do look like weirdos to most people out there, but eh, whatever. At least it's, you know, they mentioned arachnoboards, which is awesome. And then they interviewed Bob Herndon who's U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who is considered to be like the tarantula guru as far as fish and wildlife, and uh, his name popped up quite a bit during the fiasco with the Brazilian species and whatnot, so it's pretty cool that they're actually seeking out people in the hobby that we all know and recognize. So the, the author did do his research and really did pull up some you know some great sources here and, and came up with some really cool points. But they talk about that, uh, Bob says to me, they're more than just animals, he says. They're beautiful creatures. And, Bob, I couldn't agree more if you would listen to these. I don't know. Um, they really are. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And I always have a lot of photos on my phone. i got to get more active in Instagram. But uh, I love basically when people say they're ugly, whipping out some of the pictures I have of the colored ones, like the pinks and the purples and the greens. And the, they're just amazing looking creatures. And I do find that some people start to see that when they see photos of them. You know, just everybody, again, thinks they're just the big brown spiders and they're not. So Herndon said that poaching took off in the 1970s when people became interested in tarantulas as pets. To capitalize on the, uh, the demand, people began breeding tarantulas and trading them legally across borders. But this requires obtaining permits, insuring the spiders, paying for their inspection, and the like. And Herndon says it's cheaper and easier to flout the rules. Uh, a couple good points to be made there by Bob. Uh, the first one is that there was a lot more of this back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And again, I got, I'm got i not going to pretend to be a pioneer in the hobby. In the 70s, I was just a little kid. In the 80s, I was just watching MTV and playing video games and Transformers and G.I. Joes and all that. And then 90s is when Billy and I moved out. I got my first tarantula. We started going to reptile shows. And that was when a lot of the tarantulas, even then, were wild-caught specimens. You were getting all the wild-caught ones. That's when you go in the shows and you see these things in terrible shape because they were probably shipped illegally from their countries or just even legally. 
And that was, it was, I think, a much bigger issue back then. And then people started breeding them because there was demand. So what you end up happening is you get that sustainable breeding population in the trade that we so, you know, at least in the United States, we so need this so we can stop having to import from Europe because if we start banning more species or or international trade of some of these species, we're going to be hurting because we don't have a sustainable population for them. And then the other thing Mr. Herndon uh, points out that I agree with completely is that a lot of people find it easier to flout the rules or cheat and smuggle these guys in. And that's where I wish we'd focus more of our energies. I think there's been a lot made recently with people that thought they were bringing stuff in legally and it turned out that there were some issues and that's great and we, we have to police that. I think... That's something that needs to be taken care of. If there's something you think you're bringing in that's legal and it's not, you need to know about it. I mean, that's, that just makes it an illegal transaction, obviously. However, I do feel that the people that are at least trying to bring stuff in illegally, those are the ones that we need to support and educate and make sure they know what's going on. It's the ones that are basically brown boxing, bringing stuff in, hey, ship them to me, U.S. Post Office, uh, Royal Mail. And nobody needs to know about it, that it's not safe for the animals, it's illegal, they're basically getting away with not paying all the penalties. A lot of these guys will sell the things super cheap, undercutting the people that are doing things legitimately. I went through all of this before, so I I do think we need to, as a community, come together and try to ferret out some of these brown boxers and make sure that they're not getting our money. Because that does nothing for the hobby. That just ensures that we're doing things illegally, that it's it's undercutting legitimate businesses, and we can ill afford that in the United States, especially where we so often de- depend on imports from Europe. We can't afford that to happen. The article also goes on to mention a tarantula that I was surprised hasn't been mentioned more with this whole new thing about tarantulas being recently discovered and then ending up in the hobby, which seems like just months later, but... The author writes, then there's the case of the psychedelic tarantula, another Indian species touted for sale in online exotic pet markets in the U.S. and Europe a mere eight months after its discovery was described in a research journal in 2014. I was heartbroken. Oh, gosh, I'm going to mess this one up. Zizan Mirza, a wildlife biologist who helped make the discovery, told the Hindu. This one blew my mind because I remember reading the article about it. Like, this species is gorgeous. There was lots of jokes that people would be, you know, flying into India as we speak to try to smuggle them out to breed them. And it was no joke. They literally were on the market so quickly after that. And obviously, they're speaking of the psychedelic tarantula they're talking about is Haplocostus devamantha. Um, the I don't know what they're calling it now. It was originally the LSD tarantula. But I think we got rid of that silly um, name. But that was one of the species that I thought was going to bring some negative attention to us, and it kind of flew under the radar. But then the T. celadonia, we had the issue with that, and it was like, all right, there we go. And I do think that's something that makes us look terrible as a hobbyist, as hobbyists, as a hobby, is when these species are just discovered in the wild. And next thing you know, we're selling them for hundreds of dollars, and we're talking some of the prices on the psychedelic one I believe were up to like six seven hundred bucks when they first came out might even have been more people see that and it does not engender sympathy in our hobby they look at us as like look at we just poached these animals right out of their habitats we're we're putting them at risk by pulling them out of their natural habitats and then selling them as pets because they think we think they're pretty and we want them and that just doesn't it's not a good look it's does not paint the hobby in a very sympathetic light. And that's what we need now. We need people to start realizing that these are beautiful animals, that we can be responsible for them. So I do think we need to be more careful with this stuff. If a species is 
discovered, you know, in January and by December, the first slings are out. That doesn't look good at all. So again, I think there's some, you know, there's definitely some weight to this statement. And obviously this is an article from National Geographic that's going to go out to a lot of people that know absolutely nothing about tarantulas, absolutely nothing about the tarantula trade. And if I were to read this and not know anything about us and about the culture and about how we feel about these animals and it's not necessarily a very good uh, look for us. So it goes on to say uh, authorities have seized tarantulas everywhere from Australia to the Netherlands to Brazil. Australia, I'd imagine it's because they're trying to bring in species that are not endemic to uh, Australia, which would be a problem. They've been found stuffed inside Nintendo cartridges. Huh? That one kind of blew my mind a bit. Like uh, that would like right away if I was somebody that was checking baggage or whatnot, and somebody had a Nintendo cartridge, I would immediately be suspicious because I happen to have a huge collection of video games in my attic. Like, I have everything I've ever owned. But um, I don't think people usually travel with Nintendo cartridges anymore. That one kind of blows my mind. You were, you were destined to get caught, buddy. Hidden in shoe containers, bundled in packages of drinking straws, many more likely slip across borders undetected. Some spiderlings are no bigger than a pencil eraser, and adult tarantulas can easily be packed in suitcases or shipping boxes. And that's true. I'm sure that's how they get them out of the country. The people that are going in to get the breeding pairs, that's probably what they're doing. Carol Fukushima, another good name, a researcher at the Finnish Museum of Natural History in Helsinki who has studied tarantulas, says smuggling spider criminals may not be a high priority for law enforcement officers. If they're looking at bigger things, they consider more important. Maybe they don't care about tarantula trafficking, she says. And that's a good point. Again, to go back to the point we said before that one of the things we do enjoy in this hobby is people don't care as much about them, which in many ways is a detriment to them because we can't get people to start, you know, appreciating what we see in them. However, in this instance, it allows people to basically traffic them much more easily because nobody's looking for them. So, I mean, I think that's a good valid point and kind of backs up some of the stuff we talked about in an earlier podcast where we talked about the illegal trade. This is an issue. For Bob Herndon, though, understanding the tarantula trade is a mission. In January, he was contacted to help open a box in Cincinnati, Ohio, after the Fish and Wildlife Service received a tip that the shipment might contain smuggled animals. The consignment, which came from the Philippines, was labeled as toys. So there we go. That's brown boxing, I will say. And, and again, I'm not, I have many Philippine Filipino friends in the hobby. They're great people. They're, I think the hobby, despite the fact that I'm not sure how legal some of the species are, the people that are into spiders in the Philippines, many of them are very passionate about them. They want to give them the correct care. I answer a lot of questions from great guys. But I do think there is that whole misunderstanding that it is not legal for somebody in the U.S. to send somebody in the Philippines a tarantula. It just it can't happen. So if, if you guys are listening to this, it's not that I'm being rude. I'm, I cannot legally send my tarantulas to other countries. So just keep that in mind. So it goes on to say that when Bob opened up the box, what they found was 17 baby tarantulas and two bottomless styrofoam cups that had been taped together. They survived and were quickly or were sent to zoos in Tennessee and Kentucky. And that that makes me feel really good because, quite frankly, I, I always worry about what happens to the animals once they are taken. They can obviously be destroyed. And Bob, being a hobbyist himself, I think probably tries to ensure that they go to good homes and that they don't lose their lives over people being greedy and, and cheap. Now, the next two paragraphs in this article, for me as a hobbyist and somebody that loves these animals, 
probably some of the saddest things I've read in a while. Um, first one, it's, it's sad to say, but we don't know the ecology of these animals. Fukushima says, we don't know how many of these animals are found in nature, the range of these animals. And then it goes on to say, according to Sergio Enriquez, of more than 900 tarantula species, the IUCN has assessed the converse, uh, conservation status of just 15. That means no one has any clue how more than 99% of the tarantula species are holding up in the wild. That's borderline tragic. I mean, to hear that out of all those species, we don't know what's going on with these, and they're not a priority. So there's where it works against them because nobody cares about them. So they're not going in studying whether or not their populations are being decimated by deforestation, by loss of habitat. We don't know 99%. I mean, that really blows my mind a bit, and it's really sad to think that we don't know how they're faring. There could be species, and you know, I'll, I'll go out, and on a limb here and say there probably will be species that we never actually see because they're destroyed before we can even kind of take account of them and, and figure out what's going on, where they live, what, and we're still discovering new species all the time. It's conceivable that some of these species will basically cease to exist by the time we can ever study them or even find them. So that's, that's really sad. They go on to say that with few resources devoted to tarantula science, Enrique says, it's difficult to figure out what's harming them the most. Fukushima, who like him wants to find out more how the trade is affecting tarantulas, has launched a multi-year research project to learn everything she can about it, including the source regions, the trade routes, and the details about what is driving it. Now, that could be an interesting report. I think we all kind of have an idea of how these guys get into the hobby. Um, it's long been joked that uh, the German keepers are the first ones to get a lot of these guys. They're started in Germany. They move off to Europe. Then the U.S. starts buying them from Europe, and that's how the trade kind of goes. But to actually see a report that shows the impact of the trade on these guys in the wild, that would might put to rest the whole... Are we helping or are we hurting? I'd be, you know, I, I'll admit I'd be kind of worried that it would show that we are putting, are creating more of an impact on the wild with the trade than we, those of us in the hobby would like to concede. However, could go the other way. We could find out that, hey, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, we do a little dent at first, but then after a while, we don't tend to take things out of the wild because we basically are raising them in captivity, so it doesn't make it, I don't know, I really don't know, and, and this would be something I would love, and I would take it either way. Like, if it comes down to the fact that we're damaging populations ourselves through our own hobby, then yeah, that's an issue, and that's something we'd have to deal with. So that, I, I said I wasn't going to go through the whole article, and I did anyway, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I think it's, you know, a, a, definitely worth a read. The author is Jenny Ackman, who I, I believe did a pretty good job on this. I mean, obviously she's not into tarantulas. The beginning kind of worried me a bit because it was obvious she's one of those people that can't understand why we would keep them. So that's not going to necessarily make her look favorably on the tarantula trade. However, I think she did a good job seeking out people that know what they're talking about. And, and producing a rather fair and, you know, quite frankly, an article that really makes you think. And really, I'm very, very, very interested in Fukushima's report. I, I'm sure that will take a long, long time, but I'm hoping I get to someday read that one because I think that would be amazing. So the good news is they are, you know, obviously this was for Halloween for National Geographic, and so a lot of people will just be like, oh, spooky spider thing on Halloween, yay. Uh, but it, that's, a, that's a huge audience, so it will get people reading about them. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that it will engender any sympathy for our hobby because it does show that there is a, a darker side to our hobby with 
the you know poaching things from the wild with the illegal shipments of them across international borders i mean we're not we're not blameless in this there is there are parts of the hobby if you're if you're right now in your collection taking care of some species that are rather new chances are those were pulled out of the hobby illegally we can't discount that fact we can pretend like it's okay because they've been laundered through a couple different countries and they've been bred a couple times but there's still an issue if they find a species in the wild that has a depleted population or there's they don't find many of them and then people come down and grab a bunch of breeding pairs out of the wild that is definitely not helping their situation any we can't pretend like it is down the road once we start breeding them and and get a sustainable population does that help i think it will in some instances i again i i firmly believe that at some point some of these species will only exist in collections and it's incredibly sad but i think it's it's a fair point to make that said it's very important not to underestimate our own impact on the populations in the wild for many of these species because again we're not blameless on this one so i think this article honestly is about as fair as it probably could be especially coming from somebody who is not enamored with tarantulas, who is probably not, was probably not particularly familiar with the hobby. I would have liked a little more from, you know, from the actual hobbyists themselves in it. I mean, the quotes from arachnoboards, again, sounded like something off of a fan site or something. It was not, wasn't particularly great. But, you know, overall, it's an interesting article. It's a well-done article. And I think she obviously did some research and pulled in the right people to have comment on this. So we can't, you know, ignore it. Some of the big people in the trade are saying there could be an issue here. So hopefully that study gets done. We find out more about it. And hopefully at some point, some of these countries will start knowing what Mexico has done with their species and start regulating the trade of their own species. You know, again, these breeding programs where they breed them, they put some back in the wild, they put some in the pet trade, the country makes money off it, because I think that's Another thing that we don't think enough about that when we're over here in the United States selling spiders for several hundred dollars and they're coming from poorer countries and they're not seeing a dime of it, that's that's not something they're going to particularly appreciate. And that's going to lead to more of this legislation that's going to make it more difficult for us to get our spiders. So, again, something we can't forget about and something that I hope people spend more time looking into and we get some more answers. So that will do it for this one. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, I kind of like breaking these articles out every once in a while because it actually allows me to process them as well. Because I sit down, I'm reading them usually in the morning while I'm pounding my coffee and mulling them over afterwards and kind of going through them out loud kind of helps me decompress a bit and come up with some points that I might not have thought of the first time. Um, Next week, I think we're probably looking at a list. I want to do something fun. haven't done a fun one in a while, but we'll see how it goes. Sometimes it's just I, I go to sit down to do one and something pops up that kind of seems like a good idea to do at the time um if people have suggestions of things you want to hear i always like to hear them i'm trying to catch up on comments again this has become again i i apologize because i i know people come to me for information it's just please understand it's it's gotten me such a volume that it does get difficult responding to everything i've actually backed off of instagram because i was just kind of throwing pictures up for fun so i could show people and I was getting a lot of comments on Instagram, and so it just became another place I had to go and answer questions and comments, so I kind of backed off because I can only handle so much. So again, guys, I do feel bad. It, it does cause stress when I notice that there are you know, tons of messages. Right now, I just went through my website and answered 20, and I still have about another 30 to go. 
it can be insurmountable at times. And then later on, I have to go do some feedings because that's what this is all about, playing with my spiders. So again, I appreciate everybody having patience with me. The only thing I, I ask is if you have something that's very time sensitive, and I hate to do this because everybody's going to end up doing it, but if you have something that's very time sensitive and an emergency, please put emergency in the comment section and then send it to my email. That's the one I'm going to see the fastest. The fake, Facebook messages have been building up to the point that it's been really tough to keep up with them. And unfortunately, I, it's, I find it very cumbersome answering questions on my phone because I just can't type fast enough. And my computer, the Facebook messaging thing, does not work very well at all. If I type out a lengthy response, it gets it, it's just been a nightmare. So please, if there's something really important you want to get a hold of me for, shoot me an email. You can feel free to put emergency so that I'll know to look at it quickly and just try to give you the, the details you need and I'll answer you as quickly as possible. I went through today and answered a bunch of quick ones already. So as always, feel free to check out my YouTube channel. I've got to do a video, edit a video in a minute, and hopefully I'll get that up this weekend. And then obviously there's tomsbigspires.com where I'm starting to do a bunch of work behind the scenes to kind of uh, basically update the whole thing. Some of those articles are from like five years ago or so, so I want to update some of that and hopefully um, kind of bring things, you know, add some insight. Some of the spiders that I talk about in there I've now had for an extra five years, so I want to put in some information. So try to update that. That's going to take some time. I should have that list done pretty soon of the dealers, well, what the part of it that we have, and we'll get that up as well. And obviously here on the podcast, and uh, you can comment on Facebook, I usually put them up on Facebook when I remember. So that'll do it for this one. We'll catch you guys all next time.